0: A reading from Genesis. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, as for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I established my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between you and me and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set up my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The word of the Lord. A reading from the first letter of Peter. For Christ also suffered for the sins once for all, the righteousness for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, When God waited patiently in the days of Noah, during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through the water, and baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him, the word, of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: The Holy Gospel today comes from the book of Saint Mark, the first chapter, beginning with the ninth verse. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. The gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My dear siblings, grace and peace to you from God in whom we live and move and have our being. Amen. The first Sunday of Lent, I cannot believe we are here again. Uh, It was during Lent of last year that the pandemic started. Um, I remember getting through two soup suppers, I think, and having to cancel them and and then having to cancel service and... um, In a way, it feels like it was only yesterday that that was happening, and in a way, it feels like it's been 10 years since that happened. Uh, What a crazy time. And I think it's a lot to ask people to navigate into Lent, into this time of intentional, intentional reflection, uh, penitence, praying, fasting, preparation, uh, this very intentional work, which takes a lot of energy after what we've been through this last year. And so um, I think for Lent this year, I'd like to navigate with a little bit more grace. And I hope that whatever you choose to do for Lent, it is something that you can do that doesn't sap your energy, uh, something that you could do uh, in, in quietness and peacefulness. And um, I hope it ultimately is something that brings you closer to God. Uh, As I was looking ahead at the readings for Lent this year, uh, we will hear about five different covenants that God makes with God's people in what we call the Old Testament, what our Jewish brothers and sisters call the Hebrew Bible. Um, And I think I want to focus on those five promises each week. Uh, And I want to use those five promises as a way or a lens to look through uh, as we think about Lent for ourselves and as we come to the space of, of both the cross and the empty tomb. And so uh, for this Sunday, this first Sunday of Lent, the promise that we hear about in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis is the covenant that God makes with Noah and with all of Noah's descendants that never again will God destroy all of life with a flood. Um, Which on the onset doesn't sound like a great thing. Doesn't sound like a promise you wanna get excited about maybe one you wanna wipe your forehead with and go, Phew, thank God that's not gonna happen again. Um, and part of this is that when, when we come to the flood story, the story of Noah's Ark, from our current value system and our current culture, the flood story is quite controversial. Um, and I have to tell you, when I have conversations with people who are adamantly opposed to Christianity, uh, are atheists, um, are opposed to God, one of the things they go to most often is the story of the flood. How can you believe in a God who's just going to wipe out the vast majority of humanity with a flood and just simply start over? Uh, And when you look at this story from our current value system and and culture, um, God comes off sounding like a pretty bad God, not not a God that I would want to worship. Um, And when I am approached with those conversations and, and even when well-meaning uh, church folks, members of this congregation who struggle with the flood story, uh, bring, bring this up and bring up their own um, struggle with the story, I always have basically the same response for them. And that is to say that we need to remove the flood story from our own context, from our own values, our own cultural norms because it is, it is with our context that it seems so bad, but we have to look at it within the context in which uh, the oral tradition 3,500 years ago was telling this story. And within that context, 3,500 years ago in the ancient Near East, every single culture, every single tribe, not just the Jewish people, but every single culture in this area had their own flood story. Every single one of them. And in all of their flood stories, humanity was deemed unworthy and was wiped out with a flood. The gods had looked upon humanity, judged them as not being worthy, and had completely wiped them out. However, it's the Israelite people who also have a flood story, and they make a very important distinction in their story. And that distinction is that God looks at this man, Noah, and his family, and deems not only them as still being worthy, but the rest of creation as well. So the the God of the Israelites does not look at humanity as being wholly evil, wholly unworthy, unworthy but can see a glimmer of hope in them, and that is Noah and and Noah's family. And from that place, humanity will start again. And, And this small glimmer of hope that God has in humanity is so big that God is willing to make a covenant with Noah and all of Noah's descendants that God will never again wipe out humanity with a flood. Meaning that God's hope, not just in Noah, but in all of the humanity that would come from Noah, is is powerful enough that God is going to be willing to let humanity figure it out. God sees enough worthiness, enough hope, and enough promise in us that God is willing to let us work it out. And that's the point of the story. If you read the flood story with a different point than that, if you read it factually or literally, if you try to, to read it as this is something that actually happened in the world at some point in time, thousands of years ago, you are reading the story wrong, period. Because people in antiquity would not have understood the story that way. For them, it did not matter whether it was factual or literal or not. For them, the point was this distinction that God makes and that God is willing to rest a promise, a covenant in. And when we can pull ourselves out of our own context and look at it from this lens, you really can see a level of beauty in it. And it is, it is that... Promise. It is that glimmer of hope that I want us to focus on today, that I want us to, uh, to create a lens around within which to think about Lent, to think about God's relationship with us as humanity. And so for Lent, for this story, I want you to revel in this promise. And that is the promise that God looks at you... And every single one of you that is listening to this, I, I want you to hear this individually. God looks at you and says that you are worthy. Worthy enough to make a covenant with. That there is enough hope and enough promise in you that the world can always be better. And you could be a part of making it that way. I, in fact, I would love for you at some point today... Go home, or if you're at home already, go to the bathroom or wherever you have a mirror. Go look in the mirror. Look at yourself. Yeah, right? This is getting vulnerable, isn't it? (laughs) I want you to look at yourself. And I want you to tell yourself that God sees that person in the mirror and says that you are worthy. And I want you to experience that promise. I don't want you to intellectually come to terms with it. I want you to experience that. You... Are worthy. And then here's the flip side to it, because it's not Lent if you don't have uh, a part that we can struggle with, right? Of course, maybe looking ourselves in the mirror is the part that we struggle with. We need to reconcile this promise that God has with us that we are worthy. We need to reconcile this with the fact that we as human species are actively working against God's promise to not destroy the planet with a flood. In a world where glaciers are melting at a conservative rate 10 times faster than they were 60 years ago, and at a more, more liberal rate a hundred times faster glaciers are melting so quickly that scientists don't know if we will have time to reverse it that sea levels are going to climb high enough that they're going to start flooding massive parts of all of our coastal lands not just on our continent but all of continents We need to reconcile the fact that because of human activity, species are going extinct at a hundred times faster than the natural extinction rate. And we need to reconcile the fact that as these things happen, it's going to be vulnerable populations, vulnerable human populations, or what Jesus would call the least of these, who are going to face the brunt Of what this means. We need to reconcile all of these things, and then we need to ask ourselves that if God sees redemption in us, hope in us, promise in us, is if if God sees worthiness in us to the point that God is willing to make a promise such as God does with Noah then shouldn't we respond to that affirmation of God by guarding creation, by trying to ensure that God's promise comes true, or at the very least, by not actively working to flood the planet? In our gospel today, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand meaning that that as Jesus comes to earth, the kingdom of God is now present with people. It is not relegated to one space controlled by a small minority of people, but that that God's kingdom is here with all of us. It exists in us. It exists in creation. It is free and universal for all people. It is here. And as Jesus ascends back up into heaven at the end of the Gospels, that kingdom work of God Bringing God's kingdom to earth, ensuring that God's kingdom is at hand for all of us, then we need to make our own covenant to be a hope for creation. If we are going to revel in God seeing worthiness in us, then we need to be worthy for this planet. And and we do that, starting off, by seeing that same divine spark that I am telling you exists in each and every one of us, in all of creation in this world too. We need to see it in the birds of the sky, the mammals of the land, the fish in the sea, the creepy crawling bugs that are everywhere. We need to see it in the beauty of the ocean, the peaks of the mountains, the trees of the forests the cosmos of the universe, that that same divine spark that exists in every single one of us is mirrored by all of creation around us. And we need to allow ourselves to go out and experience that, to experience divinity in creation. And then we need to commit to living in relationship with our world, realizing what scientists are telling us, that we live in a delicate ecosystem, one that we as human beings directly affect and right now are fundamentally harming and destroying. And we need to choose to live in relationship with creation, not domination over it. And then finally, we need to advocate We need to advocate for caring for our planet. And the best way we do that as Christians is by bringing people's awareness to the fact that that divine spark that exists in us exists in all of creation. As I say this, I am reminded of a quote by astrophysicist Hubert Reeves. He says, Humans are the most insane species. They worship an invisible God and destroy a visible nature. Unaware that this nature they are destroying is the God they are worshiping. My hope for all of us this Lent, as we begin this journey, as we look at Lent through the lens of this particular promise, is that you experience God's love for you. creation, through your relationship with that creation, I hope that you can encounter this divine spark that exists in you, mirrored at you through this incredible, beautiful earth that we get to live on. And I hope that you realize that without this creation—
0: There is no kingdom of heaven. Amen.